read for you a passage of scripture this morning. You're going to see it on the screen. Uh, as that goes up there, let me just say how privileged I am to be the pastor of this church. Um, I've been looking forward to Advent with you uh, ever since I came. And uh, I just want you to know I love you, and uh, I'm just glad to be here, glad to be your pastor. Would you thank all of this worship team and the media team and everything that's... This is, it's always fun when the kids come back from college, isn't it? And uh, get to see some fresh faces here, fresh voices and stuff. It's fun. It's fun. Let me read for you Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. <clears throat> His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, so it is Christmas, whether we want it to be or not, right? This is the, the season of it. What's interesting, too, is uh, this is the season of music. Music and Christmas kind of have been hand in hand since the very beginning. I was in a, I was in a situation on, on Friday night. We had a bunch of people between the ages of 18 and 30 together. I heard some, I, I asked kind of a snarky question of the group. I said, what is, what is it that's just awful about Christmas? Because you're not looking forward to everything about this month, right? I mean, there's got to be something that you're like, yeah, I don't really want to see Aunt Gertrude. She always smells like, you know old people, I don't know, she, whatever. There's always these things, right? And so uh, somebody said that they didn't like Christmas music, the music. Now, I'm not going to tell you who that was because I know some of you have been dying to listen to Christmas music since before Halloween. We need to have a conversation about that, okay? But uh, we all love our Christmas music, and everybody has their favorites, right? So, and there's some, there's some really good ones, good ones out there. I don't know if you've heard this one. So this one is so deep, it's meaningful. Uh, it's sung by actually a little girl. And, uh, and I, if you've heard the recording, you've probably been moved by it. Uh, the meaning of it runs deep. You hear the words sung and you instantly connect to I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. <laughs> Have you heard this song? If you've not heard this song, you need to Google it because this little girl wants a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. Very moving, very meaningful. Or, you know, Christmas is the time where families get together. You know, we spend some special time together. We reminisce. We have all kinds of renewed connections with family members. And we love to sing the song, Grandma Got, what? Run over by a reindeer. Over by a reindeer. I mean, the power and pathos of that song is so significant. Okay. Now, here's another song. This is this song makes me almost want to laugh out loud. So I can't believe, I literally cannot believe it took me until a couple years ago to hear this song. This song is recorded so long ago, 
and I can't believe I went my entire childhood without hearing this song. This song, Dominic, the Italian Christmas donkey. I know. It is absolutely amazing. You're all just shocked right now. You can't even speak. It is an absolutely, the best line of the song, hee-haw, 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 hee-haw. That's the song. Dominic the Italian Christmas Donkey. All right, so we all have our favorites. That one can be mine, so you have whatever you want. No, my favorite is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This is my favorite Christmas song, and next week we're going to talk about another, and I'll probably be online in those couple of weeks where we have Jingle Jam and the Christmas concert sharing about a couple others, but this song in particular, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, uh, is really powerful. In fact, uh, it's familiar to us. We know it is a Christmas song, but it's actually ancient. It goes back literally centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. It's based on something called the O Antiphons. I don't know if anybody has heard of those before. The O Antiphons. And I think it's good occasionally. I think in the church we get in a horrible habit of saying things and even praying things and singing things. And they just become automatic for us. We don't give much thought to what they're attached to. So I think it's good sometimes for us to go back a little bit and understand that sometimes when we do these things in the church, when we work out our faith, when it's called liturgy, when we work out this liturgy, what we're doing is we're actually participating with things that people have been doing for ages in order to connect with each other and connect with God. And these O antiphons are one of those. They've been used for centuries. They're a series of meditations that are actually originally used seven days leading up to Christmas Day. And an O antiphon represents uh, really a title of a Messiah. And uh, all these titles for the Messiah that come from the Old Testament prophecies. We read from the book of Matthew today in the New Testament, the Gospels, but he's actually referencing a scripture from Isaiah, uh, one of the Old Testament prophets. He says, a, a son will be born, you shall call his name, Emmanuel, for he'll save his people from their sins. But what's really cool about these O antiphons, which are Latin, is they, these Latin phrases gave birth to the five verses that we know from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So they gave birth to those. They're found in, are you ready? The Salteriolum Cantionum Catholicarum. Myself, a hymnal that was a major force in the history of German church music, first assembled in 1610. And I know you are so stupefied by my ability to Google, and uh, that's super exciting for you. But uh, but seriously, here's what I think is really really cool about this: when you and I just innocently sing, "O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile there." Until the Son of God appears, we sing, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Okay. When we sing those songs, those, those words, we're actually connecting back. Back to meditations and things the ancients sang and chanted all throughout the ages. We're practicing this ancient faith when we just kind of randomly sing these songs. I think that that's really kind of cool. Now, if you're interested... Uh, I created a five-part devotional uh, that you can pick up in the back. There, there are actually some on the tables in the back. There's some in the, in the new Welcome Center. I'll give you an excuse to kind of go in and check that out. But uh, these, these devotionals 
are based on these O antiphons. And in the meantime, if you, I mean, if you want to pick that up, that's fine. But in the meantime, here's one of the most specific antiphons, these O antiphons. And we're going to do this this morning in a different way. We've not done a responsive reading in a while. And so that's what we're going to do. You're going to see words on the screen. I'll read the leader part. You read the congregation part. And, uh, and don't leave me hanging. I know the turkey's still sitting. It's pretty solid in your gut right now. But we'll wake up and we'll, we'll do this together. But this is the O antiphon that goes with this week. So you see it on the screen. O Emmanuel, King and Lawgiver, Desire of the Nations. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. And then everybody, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Father, thank you for your word today, and I thank you that you've given us your son. Help us today to reconcile our lives to that fact and give ourselves over to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up in uh, central Illinois, so if you kind of just draw a line west, Washington, Illinois. And uh, the city that I grew up in, when I was a little boy, it was 10,000 people. Now it's about 20,000, Washington. But uh, it's in the middle of cornfields, essentially. Most of central Illinois is. And so as you drive around central Illinois, you go from town to town, whether you're going Highway 24, 116, Interstate 39, all these different things. As you're looking out across the horizon, you'll see off in the distance, sometimes as far as like 15 miles away, grain silos, just a pocket of grain silos, in the middle of soybean fields, corn fields, all that kind of different stuff. And what's really interesting is that many of those, some of those are just out there, but many of those are where there's a town. So there'll be a town that'll pop up because there's grain silos out there. And uh, towns like Varna and Forest and Roberts, Illinois, and all these, all these different places all around central Illinois. And it's kind of cool. But what's really interesting about these towns is a lot of these towns, I mean, we're talking like 50 to 100 people. How would you like to be the mayor of a town of 50 people? <laughs> 50 to 100 people. These are drive through towns. You know what you notice when you pull into a town like that? Nothing. You don't notice anything because there's nothing to notice, right? There's no, there's no cars at intersections trying to figure out who got there first and who gets to go first. There's no buses. There's nobody walking around on sidewalks. There's, there's nothing. They're passed through towns. And whenever we get to the Christmas narrative, whenever we talk about this aspect of the birth of Christ and all the events that surround it and everything, Nazareth is mentioned. The town of Nazareth, the village of Nazareth. And whenever Nazareth comes up, that's what I think of. I think of these grain silo towns out in the middle of a cornfield that are really, they're forgettable. They're pass-throughs is what they are. And that's exactly what Nazareth was. It sits between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean in a very arid section of land. And what's really unique, the only reason Nazareth exists is because there's a spring. There's a fresh, small freshwater spring right there so it's kind of like a grain silo. It's the only reason for there to be people around in that area, and so they settled. Today, that spring is called Mary's Well, Mary's Well. And so that's why Nazareth is there. And in Nazareth, just like there would be in any, even the smallest of villages, there was a synagogue. There was a, a Jewish faith that had been passed on for generations, and it necessitated the fact that there be a synagogue there 
where Old Testament scripture was read. In fact, Mary, Mary was poor. Mary was a simple person. She, she was a nobody, honestly. And she sat there and she heard some of the prophecies that we actually read this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, quoting the prophet Isaiah about there would be this Savior that would come. But at the time, I have no doubt that Mary, who was listening to this in this little town of Nazareth, as well as anybody else really at that day, probably envisioned that this Messiah, this Savior, was going to come from a place of privilege. Uh, this, was, this was a land of kings, right? This was, this was a land of royalty. And so surely this King of Israel, this Messiah, would be from a, a place of privilege, would be from a place of power, okay? And uh, her prayer probably was the same as everybody else's. And I think it's, it's no different for any of us. When we pray today, what are we praying for? We're praying for some immediate issues that we're going through, right? Praying for the situation in our country, praying for COVID, praying for... We, that, those are the things that are forefront on our minds right now. And that was no different in Mary's day. And right then in Mary's day, they were under basically Roman occupation. And so they were a people who were oppressed. They were a people who essentially were getting their identity somewhat stripped from them. They're very much a people of place. And now they're, they're occupied essentially from Rome. And so they're angry, they're upset, they're frustrated because Rome is just kind of imposing all of this oppression upon them. And they, they're, they're losing their identity. In a sense, they're almost in exile. They've been displaced as, as basically the inhabitants of this land that's no longer theirs, kind of. It's this really weird, strange time, but they're kind of on the short end of the stick. Rome is a pretty powerful force. And so they're on the short end of the stick. There's this huge, huge struggle. And so when they're, we're saying this, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. We're captive. Who mourns in lowly exile here. We're in exile. We're people without a place. Our home is being occupied by others. So you kind of see where all of this comes from. And the word Emmanuel is interesting. Emmanuel, with an E, that's Latin for the Hebrew word Emmanuel with an I. Okay, so where you see the two different spellings, that's kind of where that comes from. Emmanuel is this. Im, I am means with. Im is with. Manu is us. Im, Manu, L is God. Im, Manu, L. He's the with us God. Now, it doesn't sound right saying it that way, right? You heard it, it's God with us. There's a song, God with us, revealed in us, his name is called Emmanuel. That's a song, okay? But Nazareth is kind of a backwards place, and I kind of like the backwards way of doing stuff. I like the with us God. I like the way that sounds. He's the with us God. And so really just simply short, this morning, I just want to share with you the importance of those words, really the significance of those words and how this antiphon is really the cry of our heart, not just during Christmas, but every day. This is the cry of our heart. And the first word is with. He's the with us God. He's the with us God. 
So there's a, there's a guy named Eugene Peterson. How many of you, I know there's different translations of scripture, King James Version, New International, all that stuff. How many of you have heard of the message translation of the Bible, message translation of scripture? It's very contemporary. There's a guy named Eugene Peterson. He translated that. And uh, I use it often, particularly for devotional stuff. And uh, I, I appreciate it. But when he was a little boy, he tells this story. I love this story. He's a little boy and he had an Uncle Ernie. And he loved spending time with his Uncle Ernie because his Uncle Ernie was always really, really rude and crass and played practical jokes. And so he always wanted to hang around his Uncle Ernie. So one day they're all together, the whole family's together, and they go to the Christmas Eve service at the church. And so as they're in the Christmas Eve service at the church, the offering plate gets passed down the row, and here's little Eugene sitting next to his Uncle Ernie, and his mom had given him a nickel to put in the offering plate. So here came the offering plate, and Eugene put his nickel in and passed it to his Uncle Ernie and then just kind of sat there. And as the music was playing, as everybody was quiet, Uncle Ernie leaned down to Eugene and said, how much did you get? And he showed him a $20 bill. In other words, Uncle Ernie took the $20 out of the offering plate as it went by. It took Eugene Peterson years to realize his Uncle Ernie was playing a joke on him and did not take that money out of the plate. So the lesson is don't steal money out of the plate, right? Okay, but the side aspect of that, and this is what Eugene Peterson writes, he says this, this left him with a question, and it's a really, really good question. How much did you get? Eugene Peterson calls this a pregnant Christmas question. How much did you get? It's a gospel question. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. So how much did you get? How much did you get? When Isaiah wrote those words that we read earlier, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. It was a really bad time for Israel. At that point, when Isaiah wrote those things, the Assyrians essentially were going to attack for the most part. So that, that, it's a dark moment in, in Jerusalem. It's a dark moment in Israel's history. And so nobody knows what to do in this moment. They just have no clue. They're, they're struggling. And God would be faithful. And God would do these things where he would send these prophets and, and infuse some hope and, you know, get them to put their faith in God and everything. And so Isaiah shows up. And instead of saying, all right, the Assyrians are about to attack, so here's your military strategy from God. It's going to be amazing and, and all this stuff. Instead, he says, okay, get ready because there's a baby coming. Okay, that's not very hopeful. That's not what I would want in that moment. Here you're drowning. Hold this baby. That's not, that's not comforting, right? Okay, that's not what we like. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Now, think about this, though. And this is the, this is the subversiveness of the gospel. What do you need? What do you need when you're in the middle of your drama or your problems or the darkness of this world? You need a God that is with you need a God that is with you, who stands in solidarity with you in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through. Uh, the word with, it means alongside of, it means near to, in the company of, it means a companion, in support of, on the side of. God is alongside of his people. Jesus told his disciples before he went off, 
he went away, he would send them another who would be alongside them, never to leave them, never to forsake them. God is near to his people. No matter what it is that you're going through, he's so near that he knows what we think. That's scary, isn't it? God is so near, he knows what we think, how we think. He knows when we hurt. He knows when we experience joy. He knows when we experience pain and regret and remorse. He knows us completely because he's Emmanuel, God, with us. He's with us. He's near. Isn't that what you want when you're going through something? You want somebody to go through it with you, somebody to come alongside of you, present in the storm with you, to bear your burdens with you. That is the kind of God that we have. God came to us to be with us, with us. In September, we finished a series called This Is My Story. It was fun. Uh, a bunch of you kind of worked and you put, put out your stories and stuff. I love collecting stories. I like hearing people's stories. And uh, a lot of you are able to talk about these different instances in your time, in your life, where, where you knew God's presence saw you through something. When, when it was a dark moment or a situation where you could not see the light on the other side of it, God came alongside of you and walked with you throughout whatever that was. Those are some amazing, amazing moments. I have no doubt that if we opened it up today, some of you would be able to stand up and say, hey, yeah, this is how God met me in this. He's a with us God. And one of the greatest gifts I think that we receive at Christmas is that we come to a recognition that we don't have a distant God. We don't have a God that's uninterested. We don't have a God that we've got to convince to pay attention to us. That is not our God. Our God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. He loves his children. He's a good, good Father. He's close. He's loving. He's ever-present. He's a with us God. And even so, even so, I wonder if in the midst of our trials and in the midst of our struggles and even thinking back on those people in Nazareth who were hearing those verses read over and over and over again, even then they wanted help from a powerful God, a God who would step in. And instead Isaiah talks about a baby. And I think that reveals a very powerful truth about the second word that we need to reckon with, and it's us. He's the with us God. Okay, that's really cute, Pastor Rich. That's the same sentence as the other one. Now you're just playing around. He's the with us God, but he's also the with us God. What does that mean? To us a son is born. To us, to me, a son has been given. Matthew uh, chapter 1, 1 through 17, is not where I read for you today. I started at verse 18. I started at verse 18 for a reason. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, is the part in the Christmas story that everybody skips. If you read the Christmas story, as you're sitting around the tree getting ready to open presents on Christmas Day, I can almost guarantee you, you jump to verse 18. You do not read verses 1 through 17. In fact, verses 1 through 17 exist so that when people like me stand up here and say, you should read your Bible more, you open that and you're like, I don't want to read my Bible anymore because it's just a listed so-and-so begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so, who begat, and all these names that you don't want to pronounce or even care to pronounce, it's just a list of genealogy, okay? So you're thinking, why is that in there? Why is that a big deal? 
18 is the juicy part. Some girl gets pregnant and she's never, you know. That's the juicy part, right? What's with verses 1 through 17? What's that have to do with anything? Let me tell you something. I'm so glad 1 through 17 is in there. It's a huge deal that 1 through 17 is in there. Uh, I'm glad he puts it in there because it helps me to understand something. It helps me to understand that even God is a with me God. He's a with somebody like me God. So that genealogy, 1 through 17, it establishes that Jesus is the descendant of King David. Not bad, right? Pretty impressive. Hey, he's the descendant of a king. Nice, nice. It also establishes, though, what kind of Messiah this son of David will be. He's the kind of a Messiah that's willing to be born into our mess, into our stuff. This helps me, okay? For example, if you start reading four of the people, four of the people in Jesus' family tree were foreign women who had less than stellar backgrounds, okay? Four women. Now, here's why that's a big deal. Number one, you didn't list women in your, in your family tree back then. Women didn't count. Sorry, ladies. That's just how it was. Women didn't count, so they weren't listed. But here they are. They're listed. Matthew's like, no, we got to include the ladies. So they're listed. No matter who they are, women like that, okay? They're listed in there. And then it doesn't even stop there. I mean, man, if you're looking for a job and you fill out your resume, you put references, right, at the tail end of that. Don't you put references down that are just like, oh, wow, he knows so-and-so? Wow, that's a, that's that. Whoa, those are his people? Nice. This is a horrible resume. It's full of adulterers and liars and cheaters and murderers. These are Jesus' people. This is Jesus' family. Are full of all of these kinds of people. Now, I don't know about you. I like that. What that tells me is that I'm Jesus' people. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? I'm Jesus' people. Regardless of who we are, our past, our mistakes, our heritage, our credentials, or lack of credentials, regardless of all of that. Then he goes on in verse 21, She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from all of the Romans and that other side that we didn't vote for, who, who we hate. That's not what he said. He'll save his people from what? Their sins. Their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. Verse 21 tells us that he's going to be a different kind of savior than the one that they wanted, than the one that they expected. He will save his people from their sins. First, I think it's amazing that God wants to call us his people. We're his people. He stands in solidarity with us. Even in our sin, he's a with us God. But I think what this passage reveals is something that you and I really do have to reckon with. He's not just a with us God. He's a with us God. We like the with us God right? Feels like God's this benevolent grandfather. He's on our side, right? We got God on our side. He's not on the other side. He's on our side. But a with us, with us, God, 
demands some kind of an admission on our part. Okay, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's kind of a dark song, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's not Jingle Bells, right? Okay, you can't like, I mean, there's some ways to kind of make it exciting and powerful and moving and you can speed it up a little bit, but it's O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's not going to turn into Jingle Bells, okay? It's not Little Drummer Boy. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to make O Come, O Come, Emmanuel like the happy-go-lucky song. It's kind of a dark song. And what's really interesting, you know, the last few years I've really become much more um, appreciative, I guess, of some of the more brooding I don't know if that's the right word, brooding kind of Christmas songs that really describe some of the darkness. And the reality is, is Advent, the actual word Advent, means that we are waiting for the advent of something. We're waiting for something to place our hope in to emerge out of the darkness. That's what Advent is. That's why we, and I made a joke about Christmas, or you can listen to Christmas music all year if you want to, I don't care. But that's kind of why I made a joke about it earlier is because there is this sense that Christmas doesn't happen until Christmas. What we're doing is all in preparation so that when Christmas does happen, when the birth of a Savior does take place, we're ready to embrace the light that has come into the darkness. God with us, born into our drama, born into our world. He's a with us God. With us, God. God is holy, though. God is righteous. Romans tells us that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God wants us. He wants me. And Matthew's readers, the first readers who ever wrote what Matthew wrote, read what Matthew wrote, they would have been shocked by that because they, they would have thought that this Messiah King would save them from the sins of others. But the name of Jesus doesn't mean God save us from them. It really means God save us from ourselves. In order for you and I to really embrace the with us God, we have to make it admission. It takes God with us to save us. We need him with us. You and I can't rise above our sin, uh, offset our sin with good deeds. We can't sweep it under the rug. Sin has to be reckoned with. It has to be paid for. Our sin, my sin, earns me death. That's what my sin earns me. Yet God, in his infinite mercy and grace, sent his own son to be with us, with us. Only Jesus is righteous enough to keep God's law the way it was meant to be kept. Only the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross is big enough, is big enough to cover the sins of the whole world, the Son of God dying in the place of every sinner, including you, including me. And the only way that it happens is not just that God came to be with us, but God came to be with us, even me, even me in our brokenness, in, in our darkness, and in our drama, in our sin. You know, for a righteous person, you would think God would make himself known. God only shows himself to the righteous. But no, he came to be with us. Came to be with us. Pleased is man with man to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel.
it's, it's so hard. I, ever since I've been a pastor, it's so hard to talk about Christmas without talking about Easter. <laughs> because you and I know that there's other parts of this story. I mean, I just talked about it. You know, yes, we celebrate the fact that, that Christ is born, that a Redeemer has come, that a Savior has been promised, and it's being fulfilled, and, it, and it's, an amazing, it's an amazing advent is what it is. But it's hard not to make that connection to the fact that there's a Good Friday and then a Resurrection Sunday. Because there's hope and there's life on the backside of this as well. It's hard not to point to the cross when you're pointing at the cradle. It's just hard not to make those connections. Because Jesus is the one that saves us from the power of death. Saves us for a new life. We have a living Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's God with us. With us. Um, when I was four years old in 1978, uh, up in Canada, there was, uh, there was a death. It was a little boy. He was seven years old. Uh, his name was Martin Turgeon. And uh, he was standing on a wharf, messing around on a wharf on the Prairie River in Canada, and he accidentally fell in. He slipped into this river. Now, there were other people around on the wharf, and as he slipped in, He's bobbing in and out of this water, and pretty soon he, he bobbed under and didn't come back up. But he died in this river, this seven-year-old boy. But yet there were all kinds of people around on this wharf working and all, all this different stuff who saw this and didn't do anything. And so the news outlets kind of jumped on this, and, and one of them was interviewed. How come nobody jumped in to save this boy? And the person that was interviewed said, well, down the river, there's a factory that just dumps all of their raw sewage into the river. So the river is literally unusable. It was filthy at that time. And, uh, and they just said it was too dirty to jump in. Okay. Most people, most people view God as one of the onlookers. So here we are, drowning in filth and sin and whatever you want to call it. And yet we kind of view God as one of these onlookers that says, I'll help you if you'll get out. Isn't that what religion is? Hey, man, first of all, what are you doing in the river, you ding-dong? What are you doing in there? Get out of the river. It's nasty. It's filthy. Do you not see what it's doing to you? So here, here, here. There's a line. Okay, so help yourself. Get out of the river, get cleaned up, then go take a shower first. We'll talk in a minute. Go take a shower, get cleaned off, get some, in fact, get some nice clothes on, and then go stand up here with all of the nice, pretty, clean people. Get your hair cut, do all the right things, learn their language, sing their songs, do all of the right things, follow all of the right rules, stand on the nice, pretty green space up here, then we can talk. Then we can have a conversation. Let me tell you something. This Emmanuel, God with us, says, no, I love you too much, and he just jumps in, okay? Not only does he jump in, but in the process of lifting us up out of it, gives himself to it and dies. He gives his life in that. He allows the sin, the death, the filth, all of it, the nastiness, he allows that to consume him, to take him to the grave, just to lift us up out of it. He comes to be with us in that. John chapter 1, 
Jesus showed up and moved into your neighborhood. He moved into your life to lift you up out of that and in the process gave his life into that. But we also know Easter, okay? A couple bobs down the river, he pops back up. (laughs) Okay, he rises from the dead to join us and walk through life with us and give us new life so that we no longer fall in and we're no longer carried away to death in the sin and the filth. We have a God who is with us. With us. In our passage this morning, we meet a God who was and is still today willing to plunge into the mess of human sin. I love that. I love it. We meet a God in the scripture who says, I'm coming after you before you get out of the river. I'm coming in after you. (laughs) I think that's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. I want to share a couple of things with you, and then uh, we're going to do that antiphon again. We're going to recite that again before we close. Uh, A couple things really quick. The first is this. Sometimes I just, I'll make pleas from the platform, and I just would plead with you. You're going to see a a slide about grief share on the screen. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we offered this at our church, and there's about 15 of us, I think, that went through it. I was the first one to sign up. Uh, Part of the reason is, I think we all have different things going on in our lives. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a spouse. You're grieving the loss of a child. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a relationship. Maybe there's been a divorce, or there's been other things in your life that just aren't lining up. There's a lot of things to grieve over. Here's what I know. Holidays magnify that by 10. Automatic. Um, And I I still struggle with grief. Struggled with it this last Thursday, thinking about some of those empty chairs around tables that that aren't filled anymore. And so it was a wonderful day. And uh, Chandra, our operations director, did a fantastic job leading that group. And, And a few of you were in there. It was just an amazing time. We're doing it at the Y again, and uh, we did that so that more people maybe in the community could, could be a part of it too. It is worth your two hours. That's pretty much all it is, about two, maybe three hours. And it is worth your time to sit there and understand, first of all, that you're not alone and that God is with you in this. God is with you. It gives you some practical tools. I just want to encourage you to take advantage of it. Grief share, it's really, really important. And we we appreciate the partnership we have with the Y here in town to be able to host that for us. So uh, take advantage of that. The other thing is this. You have a ticket in your seat. The uh, Christmas concert, you got Kids Jingle Jam, then you got the Christmas concert, you got Christmas Eve coming up. I want to talk to you about the Christmas concert. So this is your job. I, I, um, I figured out when I came that the Christmas concert here is kind of a, a sacred thing. In that, uh, um, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And so uh, it's, I've, I've tried really hard to kind of keep my hands off and just kind of sit on my hands and just not, not do anything. However, I did kind of put my little influence in a little bit. This song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is woven in and out of the Christmas concert this year. And I did that. I pushed for that. Uh, It's because it's important. 
We're celebrating a God who is with us. And I'm excited. Uh, in fact, their first practice is this afternoon. Don't come. Don't be surprised. Come later. Okay. But uh, their first practice is this afternoon, and they're putting a lot of work in. It's going to be really amazing. And I really want to encourage you. So here's the deal. Lose this thing. All right? You're, that is not your... I'm just making the assumption you're going to be here. How about that? No pressure there. You'll be here for the concert. I believe you. You'll be here for the concert. Lose this. This is somebody else's invitation. Do not lose it in your Bible. Do not lose it on the floor of your car. That's not what I mean. You need to use this and invite some people. There's stacks of these out there. So I want to encourage you to be thinking and praying about who you would invite. I'm working on a list. And so uh, I really want to encourage you to lose these. In fact, if there's more around you, grab those and take those with you. Take those, invite people, invite your coworkers. The concert is, I'm looking forward to it. And it's just one of those amazing opportunities where it's just fun. It's good to be together as a church. It's good to laugh. It's good to enjoy each other. And it's just good just to rock out in a concert. Is that okay every once in a while? I think that's all right. So we're just going to have fun. And it's a, it's a great opportunity to get somebody in the door and allow them to experience what real life is about. And uh, we're excited about that. Excited about that. The other thing I want to talk to you about really quickly, and you'll see the slide on the screen, is the Christmas offering. So this is a long-standing tradition as well, the Christmas offering in this church. This year our goal is $45,000. So let me talk to you about the Christmas offering. You can give to this starting now if you want, but you can give to it all the way through the end of the year. I want to encourage you to do this. There's three organizations that uh, we have kind of pinpointed this year that we would like to raise funds for. The first being housing opportunities. If you've heard of them, uh, we helped them last year. In fact, I, I moved here just in time to be a part of the group that went and we were able to present them, I think, $17,000 that they used in a tremendous way. And now they've actually broken ground on a housing unit here in Portage, just off of Central Avenue, where they're putting all kinds of units together to house more, more homeless people. And uh, it's a huge opportunity we have to be a part of that. In fact, uh, one of their representatives was in our office this last week begging us to come to their place and take them out to lunch and get together and just talk more and all kinds of different stuff. We want to be able to bless them. We want to be able to partner with them as they continue to attack the issue of homelessness in Porter County. Uh, and whether or not you think that's a real thing, it is. It is. And um, it's growing more significant as time goes by. So really want to encourage you to be praying about that. The other one is Free the Girls. How many of you have heard of Free the Girls before? Some of you guys have been around for a while. Free the Girls is an organization based out of Chesterton. Free the Girls, though, is a global impact in the sense that they work to really help women coming out of human trafficking. And uh, it happens all over the world. And uh, what we're doing is we are going to partner with them in just kind of helping bless them and get, get some really big initiatives off the ground in Mozambique. And uh, their focus right now is really addressing some trafficking issues coming out of Mozambique. And one of the other things that you'll see, this is just kind of fun and exciting, and I've never been a part of anything like this, there'll be some boxes in the foyer starting next week. Ladies, bring, bring your old bras and donate them. I don't know what they do with them. I'll just be honest. I'm going there tomorrow to learn what a warehouse full of bras looks like, I guess. But uh, they, they collect bras, and they use those in different ways, and they send those off to all kinds of places. But I want to encourage you to be praying about that as well. We're going to be uh, working with that organization. The third one right now is the Recovery Cafe, Li Liberty House Recovery Cafe. 
Most of you probably have not heard of this. But maybe, Michael, you have, good. Michael Pirtle, Pastor Michael Pirtle, he's one of the most unique men I've ever met. Yep, he's right around, yeah, he's awesome. He's right around the corner here on Highway 6, and it's City of Refuge Church. If you don't know what one that is, they just cleared out a ton of trees because they're building an addition. And Pastor Pirtle is just one of those guys, I get tired at the end of the day. Like, I might go home this afternoon and take a nap before the Packers win, okay? Nobody laugh. Everybody believes the Packers are going to win, right? So before the Packers play, I might go home. I get, I get tired. I need to sleep at night. People like Michael Pirtle, they get up at like 2 in the morning, and they're like, all right, what's my next project? They just, have never, they just never stop. And so what the Liberty House Recovery Cafe is is what it sounds like. It's a cafe. It's in Merrillville, and it meets addicts where they are and helps people coming out of addiction issues and recovery issues and all kinds of different things. And uh, he's doing an incredible job. There is, a, there is a grant on the line for them, and they have to match that grant to receive it. And so we're going to see what we can do to help them. Does it sound like a plan to help some, some people who are struggling in those areas? So the goal is $45,000. I know that this church in the past has raised far more than that, but uh, this, is, this is where it's set. Anything that comes over and above is going to be divvied out. So it's all going out. This is not for us. This is going out. And uh, so I want to encourage you. I think historically somebody told me that kind of pray and encourage people to give maybe one day worth of wages or anything like that. I'm more concerned with you doing what God wants you to do. I would ask you to pray and, and ask God what he would have you to do. And uh, as we begin to give to this, and if you do your giving and all that stuff, you can just write on their Christmas offering. We know exactly where it'll go. But uh, I want to encourage you to pray what God would have you give. This is not about us giving equal amounts. That's kind of goofy. Um, this is, but this is about everybody giving and giving what God puts on our hearts to give. So I want to encourage you to be praying about that. Sound like a plan? All right, let's stand. Let's stand. On the screen there is that antiphon. Would you share this again with me? Oh, Emmanuel, King and Lawgiver, Desire of the Nations. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Father, thank you so much that we no longer have to be people in exile. We do not have to be people held in captivity to sin. But Father, you break every chain. You sent your son Jesus Christ to dive into this with us. And Father, we needed him with us, and so we need him with us today as well. He never stopped diving in. He never stopped drawing near to us. So, Father, would you help us to turn towards you this week? Help us, as your people, to rest in your arms of grace and point others in that direction too. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for being here, and uh, we'll see you next week.